listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries, with your host, Aaron Broverman. Hello, fanboys and fangirls. It's your host, Aaron Broverman, and welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. Today in studio, we have Jay Clark. Jay is the host of an Elegant Weapon podcast. He goes around at different comic conventions, you know, in Ontario and in uh, Michigan and those sorts of places, and interviews a lot of independent comic creators. You can find an Elegant Weapon on the Points of Interest podcast network. Welcome, Jay. Hi. <laughs> I, I've never met you before, unlike some of the other people that I've had on this podcast. Sure. And you came to me because after the Alice Quinn episode, when I was promoting it, I said she was the only comics journalist, <laughs> Toronto's only comics journalist or something like that. Something like that. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. And that set off a firestorm and debate, <laughs> which which did nothing but help my podcast, which was spearheaded by Karen Smith, who's the wife of Ty Templeton Smith. And basically it was, she's not the only journalist. There are lots of journalists. And of course... I realized that there are lots of journalists out there who cover the comic book scene and lots of publications out there that cover the comic book scene. But Alice was like a brand unto herself, whereas the other journalists, I knew there must be journalists behind a lot of these publications, such as, you know, sequential Mm -hmm. comics and culture and that sort of thing. But they don't really promote themselves in the same way. And then you chimed in and were like, I'm a comics journalist. I am a name guy. Like, why don't you have me on your show? So here you are right on. on my show. And uh, yeah, and when we're going to get into it. Yeah, I, I just uh, I just saw that. You know, I totally get your point afterwards, what you're saying about how Alice being her own brand. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there's a lot of kind of group activity. But again, you know, like I said, Toronto is so huge. You know, there's so much going on. It's hard to find it all. Exactly. Totally. So what we usually start with in this podcast is I I usually get an idea of the background of my guests and like how comics came to them and that sort of thing. And then we sort of get into like the main reason that they're here and the main thing that they're involved in to do with the comic book scene I just want to get an idea first, like, where did you grow up? Well, I I was actually, I was born in St. Catharines. Okay. And I lived there till I was nine. And that's when we moved to Mississauga, where I've pretty much been ever since. Okay. Comic books for me were from when I was very young, and we had a cottage up in Baysville. And uh, my parents just started buying me comic books for the long drive, from St. Catharines to up to Dorset and Baysville. And that's literally how I got into comics. Nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. You got to pick the comics, obviously, or... I actually didn't. I remember some of the first ones I got, because my mom just grabbed them. Like, I stayed in the car. It was the good old 80s, right? Where right. you could just stay in the car and your parents could go shopping or whatever. Yeah. She went in to get kind of snacks and stuff for the ride. And right. she just grabbed she, she grabbed a Green Lantern core, a Flash, and a couple of Archies. Cool. And those were my first comic books. Did you ever ask her, like, why comic books? Like, was she just like, hey, kids like comic books? I'll just grab a few of these. Yeah, I think it was as simple as that. Um, My stepdad was kind of into comic books, or at least into drawing comic characters. He actually, when I was really young, he made me a, a plywood toolbox. 
and he drew like Batman and Superman and Spider-Man all over this thing. Right. And that was my first introduction to those characters. That was my first time ever like seeing Batman was like, who's that guy? And then I learned all about it, you know? So it was like through sort of his drawings and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's totally down to my parents when I was young, just supplying me with that stuff, you know, and letting me be really creative as a kid, you know? Nice, nice. So were you like a bit of an artist yourself? I was. I absolutely was. I drew like crazy. I think I would have been all right had I kept up with it. I just never kept up with it. You know, it wasn't my first passion, so... You know, it kind of went to the wayside, but uh, I find myself drawing a lot now. I have a five-year-old son. Okay. And he's really, he's more into it than I ever was. So I find myself drawing a lot more these days, trying to just encourage him, right? Did he come to it naturally or did you introduce him? He came to it absolutely naturally. He came out and he's been a complete mini-me since birth. Just right away was into superheroes and all that good stuff, you know, so. Nice. So how did you get more into it? Like, obviously you grew up and you started buying comics of your own. When did, when did that start? It was a couple years after we moved to Mississauga from St. Catharines, uh, in Clarkson is where I live down on the L5J. And there's a comic shop down there called Altered States. Okay. And actually, I think they're in there. This is their 25th year open, I think, this year. Wow. So they've been around a a while. So when I was about 11 or 12, I had just had a couple friends in school who used to collect comics. And they brought me to the comic shop one day, and I never looked back. You know, I've been collecting comics ever since. (laughs) And it brought you back to those memories of, like, going up to the cottage and those sorts of things, too. It kind of did. It kind of did. But I remember it was Spider-Man for me because I I was huge into the 60s Spider-Man cartoon when I was a young kid. And then I started reading the comics when I got a little older. I literally got into Spider-Man a couple issues before McFarlane took over. Oh, that's And that was, yeah, so it was a time that it kind of got big and I got really hooked and all I cared about was Spider-Man. And I was really into buying Spider-Man and Mad Magazine. Nice. And, you know, that's how it rolled. So you <laughs> so you were reading, like, Spider-Man, you know, you, you basically read the first appearance of Venom live. Yeah, I remember right? it because McFarlane took, when he took over, it was a couple issues before the 300th issue. Right. And uh, the first two were the ones with Chance. Do you remember that character? Yeah, the green a little and bit. yellow yeah. guy? Yeah. And I remember the two issues were him on the cover fighting Spider-Man. I remember thinking to myself, why is Spider-Man shooting barbed wire out of his web shooters? And oh. it was just because McFarlane's crazy new style. Yeah, that's how they drew the web. Yeah, right? yeah. He made it look nuts. And I just thought it was incredible. And then he brought back the big eyes. Yeah. And I love Spidey when he's got the big giant eye. It was just great. Everything that they did with that was fantastic. Nice, you know? nice. Yeah. And it was good. It was like right when all those superstars that would eventually go on to found Image were still at Marvel. And, mm-hmm. You know, when comics were selling like right at the boom period before yeah. it all crashed, <laughs> came right? crashing down. There was some brilliant stuff going on, you know? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. So why did you keep up with it? I mean, most people, they lose interest in comics like after they're a kid and, and that sort of thing, or they move on to other things. What made you keep reading? I just love them. I just always have. Yeah. Uh, part of it is the collector in me. Right. Because uh, I love to collect things, you know. I think that's part of it, but I, I just love reading them. I just love the stories. I love looking forward to what's coming. I just... You know, it just was easy for me to keep going. I never even considered not reading comics anymore. You know? Right, right, totally. Yeah. So, like, 
what kinds of things are you are you collecting now? What what have you noticed about sort of the changing your changing taste, the changing uh, environment for comics, that sort of thing over the years? I'm actually collecting more titles right now than I think I ever have, and I honestly think. Well, a lot of that is the podcast and getting me more into independent creators and just giving me more access to things. Okay. So, you know, I read a lot more independent books than I ever did. What kind of happened with the New 52? There was a few titles that came out of that that I just loved and I'm still collecting to this day. And it was a good starting point to Mm -hmm. like rejig your collection. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people have a lot of different feelings about the New 52. And of course, it had its good and bad points. But I personally loved it. I thought it was ballsy. I thought it was a nutty thing to do. Because there's been a lot of like reboots as far as the universes over the years. Right. It did some updating that I don't think they can take away. Even though they're talking about going back to a different continuity now, what are they going to, are they going to go back to, you know, the Daily Planet just being a newspaper? Sure. It makes too much sense now that it's a big like media conglomerate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's sort of contemporary. Contemporary. Exactly. It, which right? I thought was a very important thing to do. So, so. what do you, that's, that's a good question then. What do you want them to keep? Uh, I want them to keep a lot of that stuff. I want them to keep the uh, fearlessness of trying new things. Okay. I get a lot of flack for it, but I'm a huge Zack Snyder guy. Right. And I love Man of Steel. I understand people's like problems with it, but there's a lot of things about it that I think we had to do. We can't just keep making the same Superman over and over and over for right. You know, hundreds of years. Like I like trying new things. So true, but I think there's a difference between trying new things, and I think this is what the people would say, like the people that you're talking about who gave a lot of flack to Zack Snyder. There's a difference between trying new things and messing with the core of a of a character. There is. And, you know, he made some mistakes, which he admitted. One thing I try to look at it as is, you know, there's going to be another hundred Superman movies. We're going to get to have this debate for decades, probably. Right. Right. And the thing about this one was it started a debate. Right. It started all these conversations we're having about what is the core of Superman. Yeah. Right. And I think that needed to be spurred. I think that was a good thing that happened. Right. Uh, He admittedly made some mistakes, but I think you kind of look at it like Superman Begins. Okay. You know what I mean? That was like the Batman Begins of this new Superman. He doesn't know nothing. He's got a lot to learn. Right. I think this new Superman we're going to see is someone who's more, you know, confident in his decisions and his morality and his, you know, his ethical base, you know? Yeah, Yeah, because this Superman from Man of Steel was a very fallible Mm -hmm. Superman. Very much so, yeah. And the thing that I kind of didn't get about it was, you know, everyone was telling him to be better than the average human. Like, be above, not in an egotistical way, but in a moral way. Mm -hmm. You know, you have the capacity to be better than, like, the average human being. And he, just when he's told that, you know, he goes and, like, destroys an entire city yeah. in, <laughs> over the course of the fight with the yeah. prison. So they brought up the fact that Superman is supposed to be the ideal of what we're supposed to strive to be. Mm-hmm. But then he proceeds to not be that ideal example almost immediately after being told that he should be (laughs) yeah that was kind of what messed with me a lot about that movie they went in some really bold ways i mean it was pointed out to me actually i kind of i admittedly lost a bit of a debate yesterday because an excellent point was made because i do see the point of where they went with jonathan kent he almost cared more about the safety of his own child than to help the world and that's how i kind of looked at him making that decision 
where everybody just can't understand why Superman wouldn't have saved his dad, but I get kind of the direction. Now, the better point was made to me yesterday, in fact, that the whole core, a lot of the Superman thing is that Jonathan Kent died from a heart attack and Superman could do nothing to right, prevent right. that. Right, that, right. That's exactly so, what I was going to bring you know, up. In, I gave... the first, in the first Superman, when they used that device, it was to show that Superman can't save people from everything because Superman can't intervene in every circumstance. And, and a mm-hmm. heart attack is legitimately a circumstance that he cannot intervene in, yeah. whereas a tornado is, yeah. <laughs> something, is something that he can totally intervene exactly. and yeah. do. And for him to not being Superman, even when your father is telling you not to, I think... Superman, given what we know about him, you know, and what the core Superman is in the comics, I think he would have saved his father because he could, mm-hmm. rather than during the heart attack, you can't. You just yeah. can't, you know, Absolutely. save everyone. Yeah. Well, I like that, that that's the exact conversation kind of going on. Right. And it's it's great that it's sparked, because, you know, if if we want to, they can make more movies where they go back to the old school style. They probably eventually will. Right. Personally, my own tastes, like artistic tastes. Mm-hmm. I love Zack Snyder's work. I love the look of his movies. Uh, I've always been a DC kid, too. Right. I mean, I've collected Marvels over the year. I loved X-Men in the 90s and, you know, love our Wolverine, of course. Right. But, I, you know, and my Spider-Man run, like I said. But mainly overall, especially now, I've, I'm a DC kid. Because you like Zack Snyder, are you into sort of the dark more gritty tonal direction that he goes in at times i think it's very appropriate and i think it's it's beautiful and stunning and visually stunning i think there's times he could let up and i think he kind of did at points in man of steel we saw a little less gray than like put it this way when i heard that batman he was going to get a chance to direct batman my first thought was what's he going to do with that cape Right. Like, you know, just for, out of the Watchmen. Like, I thought Watchmen was just... And 300. So he perfect. Was, he was messing yeah. with capes, too. So. I just... His digital... His incorporation of digital and real, just the way he shoots things, I think it's 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 epic, you know? I and that's see. how I like my superheroes. I, I like them godlike. I like them able to punch planets. That's why I was never a huge Marvel kid. I mean, I get the anti-hero heroes we're supposed to identify with and relate to. Yeah. And I get that, and it's awesome. For me... My fantasy is completely the other way. Like, I want to see the most epic cosmic stuff I can. You know? Have you read Miracle Man? Not a lot, no. Okay, no. so I think you would be into that because it's about a superhero who, after the most violent tragedy battle, sort of like in Man of Steel, where mm-hmm. you know, you're facing off against your greatest enemy and people die in the in the crossfire of that right on. and as a consequence of that so what miracle man decides because he's all powerful and superman like in his level of power is that he is going to run the world in a, in a benevolent in a benevolent god sort of a way he's okay. going he's going to eliminate poverty he's going to 
bring about world peace. Right. And he's just going to make sure that what happened when he was fighting his greatest, his greatest enemy is never going to happen again. And he's, and it's going to be like a utopia right. on earth. Yeah. Alan Moore, who writes like the first 16 issues. Yes. Yeah. Takes us there to that decision of when Miracle Man decides that he's just going to run the world as like a benevolent God. Neil Gaiman then takes over and focuses on the people living under that benevolent dictatorship. That's cool. And what that is really like and whether or not that is actually something that humans want to be a part of. Like right. he's examining what are the problems of even a dictatorship that is motivated by, you know, benevolent sure. uh, yeah. motivation. Yeah. It's a cool story. Sounds neat. So yeah. you should get on that. I will. I'll Especially check that because out. Yeah. it's back now. Marvel has it. And the story that couldn't be completed when it was started like 25 years ago because the company went bankrupt and there were issues with copyright and who owned the character sure, and all this sure. sort of stuff. All that has been cleared up. So the story that Neil Gaiman could never complete 25 years ago is now going to get right completed starting in April. Our new issues that we haven't seen for, for that long. Years because, that's really cool. Because up to now, they've been re-releasing the issues that have been, that everyone has seen up to like, I think it it ended, well, it got interrupted in 1993. Mm-hmm. So all these issues that they've been re-releasing are issues that have already come out. And then in April are like the issues that we haven't seen, but have always been in Neil Gaiman's head. That's awesome. For like 25, for like 25 years. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he's just got mental file boxes. In his yeah, head and, and I mentioned that because when you said you like your superheroes like God, I would love to check that out. I'm yeah. like, that's the per- yeah. that's the perfect story for him. For yeah, because yeah. because it, it talks about that question. Mm-hmm. Like, what what is the ultimate end of that? It's kind of like when the Justice Society came and or took over. You know, right Earth Two and everything. Absolutely, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So. How did you, I mean, you're just a fan, you're collecting comics. How did you get involved? Uh, you know, what motivated you to do uh, an Elegant Weapon podcast? Basically, I was a podcast fan. Okay. I listened to the basics, the the biggies. I listened to the Smodcast. I listened to Joe Rogan and uh, Nerdist. A little WTF? bit of Mark Maron. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. And... Uh, I become pickier with them. Like I used to just be like, listen, all I could, I'd get everything I could. Right. But then, you know, you kind of grow as a listener and Joe Rogan went from, you know, doing like one, three hour a week to like nine hours of podcasts a week for a while. And it got crazy. And, uh, I just loved listening so much that I just figured, why not? And Kevin Smith was yelling in our ears saying, anybody can do this and you should. So I did. Right. One night me and a buddy went into the basement and we hit, record on the iphone like on the voice memos and we went and that was the first episode wow yeah and he uploaded it and did all that he did everything for a while i had a i had a partner up until about episode 70 and he left to do other things and i had to learn all the stuff myself which i had never done you know to edit and post and publish and blah 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 build websites and that is when i really got into it because I wanted to be a filmmaker for a while when I was younger. And I love to edit, whatever it is. I love editing. 
And I downloaded Audacity, you know, every podcaster's best friend, free software, people out there, if you if you want it, it's amazing. And I started to learn it, and I couldn't stop editing stuff. I would edit just for fun and for practice, and I still love it. And it fulfilled something that I had kind of started getting into years ago, you know? Right. And uh, yeah, so I love all the production part of it just as much as the actual podcasting. Just the whole thing as a whole is a blast for me, you know? Nice. nice. Yeah. Did An Elegant Weapon always start out as a comic podcast? No, not at all. Okay. I think we went five or six episodes just talking whatever. Right then, the new 52 came out. We were both into that, so we started talking about it a lot. And that just happened to become the main subject. Because I'd been going to conventions for years before I did the podcast. I've been okay. going. I've been going to fan expo since like 2002. Okay. So you know, I knew some kids there and stuff. So I decided, you know, let's start talking to people. So I bought a little portable recorder thing, and you know, we've been doing that ever since. Or at least I've been doing that ever since. You know. So. That's awesome. So yeah. your partner. So it started out as conversations, mm-hmm. and then you started talking about comics and Star Wars. It was episode and seven. Okay. Episode seven, I had my first guest because I went away. Okay. By, by day, I'm a tree climber. I'm an arborist. Okay. And, uh, that's my daytime activities. So, so, so what do you do as an arborist? You're planting, you're like literally planting trees. And stuff? I'm a climber. I climb trees, prune them, remove them. Oh, okay, I'm basically a tree doctor, you okay. know, like a tree expert, right? Okay, cool. Love trees. So, uh, that's kind of my art, right? Okay. And, uh, I, w- I was sent away to Ohio for a month. And when I was there, uh, I was learning about bugs and stuff. What's it called? Endemology or whatever? Yeah. The teacher there, Dr. Arnand, Anand Persaud, okay. and he was the guy teaching this class. Okay. And he told us a story about how he was the technical advisor on Spider-Man 1. Okay. And I was like, what? Are you kidding? What? So what did he do as the technical advisor on Spider-Man You know, remember 1? the scene with the, when he gets bit with the spider at the beginning? Right. And they had all the different spiders? He was the guy just there being like, this is right. This is accurate. This is how they'd live in this. Or, you know what I mean? Oh, he was just the technical. For the spider. Yeah, he was the spider scene. guy. Yeah. A spider wrangler. Yeah. So he got to work on it for a couple of days because he was a university at the, he was a professor at the University of Florida at the time. Okay. And uh, so I went to him after class one day and I was like, would you maybe be up for an interview about that experience? So I went to his office after class one day and sat down and interviewed him about working on Amazing Spider-Man. And I loved it. I had so much fun that I just started interviewing as many people as I possibly could. That's awesome. And, you know, a lot of my convention episodes will have like sometimes i feature like six to eight different creators like 10 to 20 minute little snips yeah i mean you know? i i noticed that you'd interviewed some of my friends like you you interviewed uh ricky lima and shana matter black hole hunters club black boys hole hunters club. brampton club what's up yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah for, for sure. sure like yeah. there are people that i recognize yeah uh, yeah as the community kind of i don't know it's feeling like it's starting to tighten okay. i'm not sure why because it's a strange time for it to do it, but uh, people just seem to be getting more uh, supportive of each other, okay. more positive about helping each other. It's not so much such a giant city kind of cutthroat, kind of get your name out there thing as much as it's been over the years. Not as much competition, you're noticing. or I think it's friendlier competition. Okay. Maybe. I don't know why, but just people seem to be getting along more. Like uh, I go, like, like you said earlier, I go to Michigan. 
Right. And uh, for some reason, I have this little following in Michigan. So I've gone down there. I cover Motor City Comic Con the past couple of years, and I've made a lot of incredible friends down there. Yeah. And there's something magical about that place. Like the community, everyone involved is trying to lift each other up. Right. So all it is is people helping each other, people working with each other, people supporting each other. And it's kind of, it's gross to avoid it. It's extreme, right? Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing. Maybe it's got something to do with a lot of those people who actually have been coming up to the cons here and getting to know. They have. Yeah. yeah. And I think maybe it's kind of rubbing off or something. Maybe. But, maybe. you know, because I've been going back and forth now. I've, I've been able to introduce a lot of people, you know, which is one of the cool things about the podcast is – you know, lending creators a voice and getting them to meet each other and interact. You know, right. it's, it's awesome. What made you focus on independent creators? Because there's so many of um, them. Uh, <laughs> they've all got a story to tell. They're all passionate about their story. And they're fresh. And they're ready to go. Like, you know, they're they're just ready to tell their story and share. And it's always awesome. You know, I love that that uh, that energy, that positive energy of excitement of people who are making their books, you know. So so what have you learned from them? What are some of the maybe not most shocking things that you've heard, but what are some of the the best things that you've heard? Hard work. And that's coming from a guy who's a tree climber. I mean, I know hard work, uh, you know, (laughs) and that's what it comes down to, whatever you're doing in life. And you got to be relentless. You got to be confident in yourself and in what you're doing. And you'll get somewhere, you know, you may not ever get huge, but you know, you've made something you've already won. If you've made something, do you know what I mean? Right. And I think that's the best attitude to go by, you know, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the people that I see having success are the people who are just gritting it out and who are just, you know, putting in the hard work because it's talent won't do it alone. Right. So what is the difference between sort of the Michigan U S artist alley scene and the Ontario, like Toronto artist alley. Michigan is less of a marketplace. Okay. It's less of a Barker sideshow kind of thing. You know, okay. it's almost sometimes when you're at certain shows in Toronto, it's like, hey, come over here and check out my comics. See, and yeah. I got this. See, in Michigan, it's just people sharing and smiling. And, you know, there's a lot more just hanging out kind of thing. But it's it's smaller, though, too. You know, I'm not right. I don't want to say it's small because it's not as Michigan, you right. know, like Motor City's a big con. Yeah. But. We lose sight here because we have the third biggest Comic-Con in North America. Yeah. And it's real hard because there's such a different dynamic to it, right? Yeah. Like, Fan Expo is just a monstrous beast of an entity. Yeah. Motor City is kind of more, you know... Low-key. Low-key, exactly. People are just having more fun, you right. know? It's or, And you're able to. There's more breathing room sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Where the Expo is, that's... Plus, it's the money you put in. When people spend at Expo and they get a table, they want to exhibit, they've got some money to make back. Like, yeah. it's a serious thing, you know? Right, right. So I think there's more on the line. So Motor City is more smaller scale. The tables are cheaper. Like, yeah. the yeah. price of entry, the bar isn't quite as high. And I think a lot of it is to do with the support and the everybody's friends. So they'll be like, they'll be like, oh, if you like my book, say someone, I've bought plenty of comic books at Motor City where they've yeah. said, you know, if you like my work, you may want to check out that guy. Uh, okay. You know, stuff like that I'll hear all the time, yeah. you know, or I did a pinup in this guy's book or whatever. Yeah. That's one thing about walking through the alley at the expo is there's a lot of just uh, eyes looking forward, you know. There's not a lot of, you know, like 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 Shane. You mentioned Shane yeah. Amato of the Black Hole Hunters Club. Those yeah. guys are interacting. Those guys are up. They're talking, you know, they're, they're doing their yeah. thing, you know. 
and Ricky's being as entertaining as ever. And that's what you got to do, you know? Yeah. And nobody's sitting down at Motor City unless they're drawing. Unless you're working, doing a commission, those people are up and interacting. There's lots more interaction, not just kind of the the crowd filing through. Yeah. You know what I mean? But again, it's kind of a size thing. Yeah. So, like, yeah, Shane Huron and and Ricky are sort of doing their thing. Yeah. And, like, they'll have people, like, guests on their book. Mm -hmm. But you're right. I mean, there's not as much promotion and that kind of thing unless you ask and then they they can recommend people or or whatever and i think people are a little more intimidated because of the size and breadth of things in toronto right you know i think people in michigan it's easier to get your voice out there's it's just not so epically huge that's the toughest thing here right Right. i know people who are just breaking in who've been trying to do this for 15 years Mm -hmm. and you know they're finally seeing it starting to see a little bit of success but it's been a long road just to get recognized and, and I mean, there's a lot of like big name people that work out of Toronto too. So oh my that god, makes it a little more competitive. Are you kidding, Ontario? In Ontario alone, what you've got? Dave Finch, you've got Dave Ross, Ty Templeton, Leonard you know, Kirk. Leonard Kirk, who Jason Fabok. Yeah, I think at one point we had three of the four Batman artists living yeah, in Ontario. Yeah, 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 yeah. ridiculous amount of Batman coming yeah. out of Ontario. Yeah, it's yeah, insane. Yeah. That's a great thing for us in that it's a motivator. Right. You know, there's a lot to learn from. But again, those guys stick out, right? Right. You know, you know, there's not so many of those. Like Michigan has got Stegman. Yeah. You know, Ryan Stegman is kind of there. You yeah. know, he's kind of the commander of that camp over there. Yeah. Who, you know, I've been lucky enough to have him on the show. And he's just a great guy. And he is right down in the lowest levels of the trenches at these cons. He's helping kids who have, you know, on their first issues of first things, you know, it's amazing. He he'll help anybody. He'll talk to anybody, and you know, happy and willing to do it. And, nice. You know, nice. that's a great thing. Yeah, and he's he's come up here a lot all the time. He didn't come last year, and it's the first year in many years. He's yeah. been coming for a while yeah, now. Yeah, 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 really good guy. So you've had you've had a mixture of like big name people and indie people. Yeah. Is there a difference between interviewing like big name people versus? Uh, Versus indie people? I'm sometimes hard-pressed to call myself an interviewer. Okay. I feel like I'm a little bit more of a conversationalist. Let me give you an example. Okay. This weekend, actually, yesterday, not yesterday, sorry, Sunday. Sunday, I had the extreme pleasure of talking with John Ostrander. Okay. And I prepared a bunch of questions, which isn't my usual method. This is the creator of Suicide Squad, for those who... Yeah, those Suicide who Squad, Grimjack, yeah, yeah. and uh, did a lot of Star Wars. That's how I got into him, because right. I'm a Star Wars comic freak, right? Right. So, yeah, and I had prepared a bunch of questions, and then I just felt weird about it. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to toss them out, I'm just going to go. I think I, ha- I kept a few talking points, you know, that I wanted to make sure we covered. Mm-hmm. And because it's just, you know, sometimes you have to remind yourself to be yourself because you get nervous because he's a big deal to me because of star right. wars comics right, and right. I, I wasn't as confident in myself as i maybe should have been i should have been like you know what you're doing you've done this 185 times like you know you can right. you can talk to him so i did that i threw it out and we ended up having the greatest chat he's a really nice funny guy and you know i felt validated to myself for kind of sticking with being me right and it went really great so a lot of these things you, you do have to know who you're talking to if they are on a certain level because it's just a respect thing. You know right. what I mean? Uh, if you're cert- talking to certain people, you should have at least an idea where they're coming from. Right. Right? You know, the indies are good because they're fresh at being, all right, what's your story? And they're like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but there's, you. you know, a lot of these guys have been asked a million questions a million times, some of the bigger guys. Yeah. So I try to stay away from that and just, you know, 
just kind of talk to them. You know, what is generally like? What is your line of questioning? Like, what kinds of questions do you ask? What do you What do you want to know? Are you trying to like separate yourself and ask questions that they haven't been asked? Or I'm trying. What's the tone of usually your interviews? The tone is always a pleasant conversation and an interesting conversation. And I usually let my own curiosity just take over. Okay. So I just start with something. I always start with something. I always have something to go in with. You know, I'm never just like, so what do you want to talk about? Yeah. You know, I, I, I have a general topic I'll maybe start with or I'll, you know, uh, most of the time it's just chit-chatting back and forth like we were doing before the show. Right. And then I just kind of let it keep going. I don't do an actual introduction to the show. I do that separately. Ah. Right. So I just start the conversation. I mean, I get hardwicked once in a while because my guests will be like, are we recording? I'll be like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going for five minutes. <laughs> you know? right. And it, it, it feels natural for me. So, and then later on, I record the intro and then put it on front, right? Ah, And I can have a little bit of fun with that, you know, and just go radio DJ for like two minutes. Cool. (laughs) So, like, what kinds of things do you learn? Like, you've done a ton of episodes. And what do you learn about podcasting when you're that deep in, what have you done, like 186 episodes? 185. Okay. I just released yesterday. Okay. And are they weekly or? They are weekly. I used to be Thursdays. Now I've been going with Mondays. It's just been easier for me for some reason with my schedules. But, uh, you know, it helps for me because I try to bank episodes as well. I don't record weekly. Yeah. Uh, but I release weekly. Yeah. So I try sometimes to get a couple episodes banked, you know. You know, right now I've got one for next week. I'm going to be putting Ostrander out next week. Nice. And, uh, then I'm actually fresh. But uh, it's a constantly evolving thing, especially something with podcasting, because it's so Wild West. It's so limitless. Okay. You know, there's no rules. There's no, you know, there's maybe some etiquettes that have kind of grown what in the are community. Those? I don't know. Like, should I be more polite than I am? No, I don't mean uh, etiquettes in that way. <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe etiquette is the wrong word, because I don't want to say rules. Okay. At the same time, because there's no real rules to podcasting. But there are things that have developed that you yeah. know what You need a decent sound quality. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. You need a decent whatever, you know, you don't rip off, you know, music or just those little things that aren't laws, but are kind of unwritten rules of, you know, how to just put out a, a decent podcast, yeah. you know? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm from a believer that you could just do whatever, like record it on your tape recorder and stick it on the internet. Yeah. To me, that's still a podcast. But it depends what you want to get out of it. Who, exactly. And exactly. And it. for me, it's grown so much. And now there's a lot of people wanting to get out of it, what they weren't a long time ago. Like people are really trying to take advantage of it in a lot of ways now. Okay. You know, just as far as... Uh, the medium or... Your... Yeah, the medium. People are trying to kind of get famous off it, you know, and right. they don't understand how hard that is to do. I heard Adam Carolla say it best. Podcasts are like indie bands. Right. Right? Like, there's different levels of indie bands, but how many of them are there? So many, you can never possibly know them all. Exactly. Right? And that's where we are with podcasting. It's It's such an open, vast ocean of just sharing conversation i love it i think it's a beautiful thing so how do you differentiate yourself then i don't try to okay i think the only way to differentiate yourself is to be you and to do what you think is right i mean you can have some people have cool shticks and gimmicks and cool things like that which are all fine right you know like uh, my all-time favorite podcast is hollywood babylon 
Okay. With Kevin Smith and Ralph Garman. Have you ever heard? I have. Yeah. yeah it's my all time. Every Monday, it makes my whole week right because I just, I laugh till I can't breathe every Monday morning and it's sensational. And it's their kind of, it's like a stoner and a drunk's take on Entertainment Tonight. A lot of shows have structure yeah. where I don't have structure. I'm just conversation. I'm just yeah. Joe Rogan styles. Let's chat it up. Yeah. Where a lot of other shows have, you know, segments and, you know, reviews and this, this and that, yeah. you know, that's just not for me. Nothing wrong with that. But another great thing, you can do it any way you want. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So you don't really go for like the high production of a This American Life or NPR kind of thing. You're going for like the conversation of like a Joe Rogan. Yeah, that's my podcast. Yeah, type, yeah. type of type most of, of the time. Not that I can't enjoy other stuff. Right. You know, I and I try to. I'm always trying to listen to new pods too. Like I'll try a new couple pods every week okay. just to try them out and see what I like. And I've found a lot of cool podcasts that way. Yeah. You know, and not something that I are going to say bad. It's just not for me. Given that you are a podcaster, and I find that as a podcaster. You start to look at podcasts a little bit differently because you do it you do it yourself. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. So what are your sort of top five podcasts that you consistently come back to and like why do you like them from a production standpoint? Well, my number one is Hollywood Babylon. Okay. Because it's just the funniest thing ever. I think those two guys, Garmin and Smith, just they make me laugh. And that's just that's just great. I'd probably say Nerdist, even though I only listen to Nerdist when it's someone I want to listen to most of the time. But they actually just switched. They were doing three a week, now they're doing one. Okay. So I'll probably listen more often. There's a podcast called Drunk on Comics. Okay. Uh out of Michigan. What is that? They're a comic podcast. It's a couple friends of mine out in Michigan, great kids, uh, Matt, Tony, Derek, and uh, Lindsay. And they're out there, and they talk comics and stuff every week. And said that I made friends with them right when I started my show because I heard them on Twitter. I was looking for new podcasts, right. and I found this one because I drunk on comics. And I was like, well, that sounds fun. And I gave it a listen, and it is fun. So, so, so what do they they discuss? Like what's going on in in Marvel and DC and those? Yeah, sorts of yeah. Things, well, they or? each will pick a book and review the book for the week. Yeah. Um, they've they've got a little looser with their style lately. They've been trying a few new things. Yeah. Uh, but the main structure has always been that they have segments. They have like a booze in a book. Where they'll recommend a comic and a drink that goes well with that comic. I see. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, off the shelf, uh, which is they talk about a couple new books that are off the shelf. You know, Indie Turnpike was where they would, uh, you know, feature a particular indie comic. You nice. Know? So nice. they, you know, and that's a really good podcast. One of the guys from that show, Derek Becker, he just started his own new podcast called Comics, Pros, and Cons. Okay. Where he interviews pros at cons and stuff. Nice. He just started. He's done three episodes, uh, but he had Ryan Stegman on his first episode. Nice. And then he spoke with Jay Fosgett, who's been on my show a bunch. Nice. Uh, he's My Little Pony and uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, Bodie Troll. He actually just did the uh, Avengers standoff variant, the Gwenpool cover. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Edumacation. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's another Smodcast podcast. Yeah, that's with uh, him and Andy McElfridge. That's a, that's a fun one. Sometimes I mix it up with the TV one. Hardcore History. You ever heard Hardcore yeah, History? I have heard of Hardcore yeah, History. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I listened to Hardcore History for a while, but then I'm like, this is too dense. <laughs> I got to take a break a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It can sometimes run like five hours or oh, know, yeah, multiple crazy, hours of, yeah. of really intense yeah. 
historical uh yeah. podcast i also i break my podcast up a lot too like you know i'll like listen to 20 minutes while i'm doing the dishes and then i'll finish it when i take the dog for a walk I you know see, stuff see. like that so you know that's kind of how i'm a listener luckily i can kind of listen sometimes when i'm in the trees too right which is always fun so that must be weird like you're you're high up and you're you have a podcast on it's cool because it's uh it just it's kind of like white noise you know, it's right. it's not so much, you know, entertainment is kind of just comforting in a way. You right. know, Because it actually, I, I mean, I've been doing it 16 years. I've been climbing trees. So oh, not nice. that it gets boring, but at times, you know, if I'm in a tree for five hours not talking to anybody, just swinging around, kind of cutting stuff out, it's nice to have a little company. Yeah. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. So, for sure. Yeah. But I mean, I hardly listen to music anymore for years now. It's just podcast, podcast, podcast. Yeah. Nice. So, so who who have been like your favorite guests? Oh. Who are the guests that you like that you like the best in terms of you know what they tell you? I mean, I'm sure you've learned a lot about the business of making comics. Yeah, and uh, absolutely. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, see, that's the thing. It's because I don't kind of direct them. Sometimes they'll just end up being a fun talk, and we won't even talk about their work. Right. And then other times, that's all we talk about. Yeah. Uh, Ostrander yesterday was a bit of both. Okay. Because I'm such a fan of his work, I wanted to make sure we talked about it. But we also, he and I geeked out over the comic book TV shows for a while. Because nice. he's a big old fanboy, eh? So what does he think of the comic book TV shows? Because Suicide Squad have been on Arrow. Uh-huh. Like yeah. the, his people, his creations have well, been Well, you'll just Arrow have to listen and find out, I, won't I, you? I, I, will. I, I I'm really interested <laughs> But in yeah, that. we talk about that and he lays yeah. it all out. And, That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Absolutely, because you know he's got a lot of. We talked a bit about Floyd Lawton, you know, uh, yeah, Deadshot, because you know we talked about the guy playing him on TV and uh, and Will Smith, and you know we talked a bit about yeah, that. Yeah, because so. I mean, there's there's a little bit of uh, I don't know, like trolling out there where people are against the fact that like Will Smith is I think it's playing great. it because. Yeah. Of his skin color and that kind of thing, which I don't really buy into at all. I don't all, even listen to that crap but anymore. But it's still a it's yeah. still a p- point of contention with people, right? It's so dumb. Even Superman was made black at one point. Yeah, you know, exactly. On some Earth somewhere, Superman is black. So yeah, yeah, you know, I really try to. There's so much out there that is just out there for the sake of being out there. People like to start arguments just to argue, and I just that's one of the things I try to stay so far away from is just the silliness of. If they change something up a bit, you know, who cares if Wally West is black? That kid's a great actor. I'm loving the performance. Totally. Let it, 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 you know, it makes more sense, you know. One cool thing about Ostrander is he really understood the importance of having to adapt something to a different medium. Right. Honestly, I think the closest anyone's ever come to putting a comic book on film was The Watchmen. And even that had to have a drastically different ending than the comic book because it just wasn't going to work. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So there's a need for that, right? For, for, but yeah. yeah, no, I've talked to a lot of people about, talked to a lot of good writers, and the writers are always the ones who really get into the depth of it, I find. The writers are the more serious chats. Okay. Not, I don't want to say serious, but they're the more work-minded chats, you know, uh, discussing how they're techniques and you know processes and where things came from and a lot of that which i love that and a lot of the artists are more just kind of 
they'll talk about drawing for five minutes and want to talk about something else and we'll just end up talking about different stuff you know mm, nice. than, than even comics you know because your podcasts are more like freeform conversations, mm-hmm. what kind of research goes into them? Like, do you do you pick up the book of the guests that you're going to be I do. interviewing? I do quite a bit of research, do? for sure. Okay. I like to be prepared. Because I also have been lucky enough to do a lot of panel moderation okay. uh, over the past few years um, for some cons. And you got to know... <laughs> And if you don't know, it's just it makes for such awkward moments. So I like to be prepared. So you'll read the book, and then what else will you do? Wiki, you know, on Wikipedia, just pull them up quick on the IMDb or the Wikipedia, and I'll try to not use anything from that as a question or anything, but just to have a basic knowledge of who they are, you know, and what the hell they do, because right. then I can at least ask them about that. And they can tell me stories about who they are. Yeah, yeah. Right? You know sure. what I mean? So, yeah, I try to find their work. I try to read what I can, you know, figure out where they're from. What would people find most surprising? Like, having talked to so many people, what do you think is, like, the biggest misconception about people who work in the comic book industry? And, and what would people be surprised? That they don't work out? as hard as they do. Okay. They work so hard. It's unreal. Just the hours and the emotional heartache, the the passion and stress that they go through trying to create something is a lot more serious than a lot of people realize, I think. Can you give me an example? Oh. What's, like, the level of commitment we're talking about? I know people who will draw 22 hours a day, and they have no life. To get them out of their studios to have a drink is near impossible, I know people like Sean Daly. You familiar with Sean Daly? A little bit. Sean Daly, he's he's going to be blowing up real soon. You you kids pay attention to Sean Daly out there. His drawing board is beside his bed. Okay. And we were joking about this on my podcast when he was on, but he literally, his eyes open, he rolls out of the bed into the chair, and he starts drawing. And then he goes to bed at night. Like, these are a lot of his days. Right. You know what I mean? And especially for a lot of these guys have families and wives and kids and they put the time in, you know, yeah. and you got is a serious lack of sleep from on the, on the artist side, I find, which is weird for me because I work such a physically demanding job, but the emotional stress, they just want to make something so good and they're so into it. They, they give all of themselves to it. Right. And it's an amazing thing. It's the thing I respect most about, you know, indie creators. Have you noticed the difference between like being indie and that mentality versus being more mainstream and being, you know, somebody like Ostrander who sort of arrived in 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 comics? Not too much. But yeah, I mean, you can tell the people that have had to work harder for it. Right. You know, and have had to put more time and grit and sweat and tears into it. Um, you know, some people are phenomenally talented and just, you know, they, they, it takes a little less practice to get as good as some of them are than other people. But then there's other people who just draw and draw and draw and draw for years, right, 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 for years before anything takes off. So I think, uh, it's not so much the indie pro thing because a lot of the processes are the same. I think it's how you got to wherever you are. Right. And I think that's the, the struggle is what kind of defines a lot of these people. I mean, there are the mystics. There are the Alan Moores and those types who, and the Grant Morrison. So you're not going to just run into it at a con and get to show them your portfolio or ask some writing tips or 
they're on just another level of existence. They're so into their art that they don't even see any of this going on, any of this fanboy nonsense. They don't see it. Yeah. Right. They're just there. But then there's other people like Stegman, like Ostrander, who are out in, in loving being out there. Mark McKenna. Uh, you know, longtime DC uh, Marvel inker. Yeah, he's a good friend of the show, and he is one of the most helpful dudes out there. Anyone can approach him at any con. He's the most approachable, nice guy, and he'll help you out with anything. You know, nice. And uh, it's it's great. You know, that's there's so, all different types. So there's you know? a real sense of giving back with some. Oh yeah. Guys. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. You see that a lot, even when they've only made it a little bit. You know, right. you don't even have to be in the top tier, but you know how hard you, you work to get there. So <laughs> so as a person who does podcasting and has interviewed a ton of these guys, has it tr- changed your buying habits and your reading habits as a fan and the way you think about collecting comics? Absolutely. How so? I buy way more indie. Okay. I buy ridiculous. I didn't buy any indie, hardly any before the podcast. Why? What was your point of view before? Like, just didn't know about it. Yeah. Just didn't know. Just wasn't aware. Just, you know, that's one of the reasons I love to do this. One of the thousand reasons I love doing this podcast is I can help these guys get their name out there, get the word out, right. give them a platform for all their hard work because I didn't know. And now that I know, I can't get enough of it. And I'm very, very lucky because I do the podcast. I get sent a lot of reviews. You know, like review, like I have a PDF folder on my computer that's just like hundreds of independent comics and people have just been kind enough to be like, they send you an email out of nowhere. They're like, here's my book. Check it out. What do you think? And many of them, not all because there's so many, but many get on the show. You know, if I see something that's even half interesting, I'll have you on the show. Sure. Let's talk about it. Right, right. You know, a lot of stuff is is come and gone. A lot of stuff's gotten huge, you know. So it's it's been a cool ride. You Have know? you ever interviewed someone when they were indie and then you knew about them and then everyone else started knowing about them and they became they, they like blew up? Ooh, good question. I think there's some who are perhaps on their way. I don't think quite yet. Who do you think's on their way and why? Sean Daly okay. is on his way. He's he's only been drawing for I think three four years now. He used to be a musician, and he's unbelievably talented, and he's an unbelievably nice guy, and he draws some amazing stuff. His watercolor work is off the hook. Even Ryan Stegman on, was on the pod, uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he called him out. He was like, "Kids, look out for Jean Daly because you know he's moving up." Anthony Rutgazer, he's got a book called The First Hero with Action Lab. And I think Action Lab's just going to be getting bigger and bigger and better and better. So, uh, you know, I think there's going to be a lot that uh, we're going to start to hear from him. I'm seeing k- kids are just getting known, you know, more like Jason Liu. Right, you right. You know, and Jason uh, Liu, friend of the show. Absolutely. Who's also, I mean, Chapter House really helped him out. Mm-hmm. And, and that whole Canadian comics push of, you know, we have an actual, like, legit Canadian publisher that's that's really making a go of it, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, there's a few popping up, you know, like even uh, Alternative History Comics, Awe right. Comics, you know, with Moonshot. Yeah. Moonshot was incredible. That's yeah. That book is beyond beautiful. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I, I I really hope Niagara comes out now eventually because that just looks amazing too. Yeah, so. we, we had Hope who edited Moonshot on the show. And, uh, you know, like definitely like what she was saying, it sounded like 
an, am- an amazing book for sure. I'm actually Andy, one of the guys, you know, one of the editors there. Uh, I'm supposed to be talking to him soon enough. He actually just lives in Oakville. Right. So I'm hoping to hook up with him eventually soon enough. We can start talking about that. But uh, nice. yeah, you know, I just, I think things are rising. Things are getting bigger. But uh, again, there's, there's, there's so many places to jump to when we got the Finches and the Faybox and the, you know, Robert Bailey. Robert Bailey is an artist. Uh, he's a Lucasfilm artist. And uh, I mean, his pieces are hanging in Lucas's living room and he lives in Brantford. That's crazy. Like, yeah. It's amazing. Why do you think it is that like so so much of this is coming out of Canada? The culture, the the education, mm-hmm. and the culture. Toronto has always been world class, at least as far as the entertainment, the art culture, all art education, the colleges, the availability of it all. I think there's just it flourishes here because of the opportunity here. Right. I think there's just the galleries and everything. You know, we're just a hugely cultural city. And the thing about Toronto that I notice being from originally from bc is like there's a scene for everything and (laughs) and it's usually the biggest in canada yeah right like we have a comic scene like for whatever you're into there's a scene for it and it's healthy yes and and huge and like well supported absolutely and maybe that's just population but i but i well see i don't know i've covered cons from here i've covered philadelphia uh, I'm going to be going back there in April, which is fun. Uh, Denver Comic Con, Motor City Comic Con, the Great Allentown Comic Con. I think that's all the American ones I've done. But we as Canadians, especially the ones who are living here and don't get out much, really have no idea how big this city is. Well, this is the fourth biggest city in North America. This place is huge. <laughs> you know, I think it, it seems smaller to us than it really is yeah. to your average Torontonian because you know it well. You know your pockets, you know your familiar places. Yeah. You know, you, it's, a, it's a really cool city when you actually have to di- you dig into the deep, dark corners of it. Right. You know, I mean, on top, it looks like all this ugly 70s architecture and stuff, right? Like right. these big gray buildings. But then when you dig, you find the Kensington markets, you know, and you find these areas. There's really special stuff going on. Yeah. And that's the thing. The pockets. There's nothing to join all the pockets up until Fan Expo. And then so many of them get together that it's just like insane, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I've still, I've never been, I haven't done New York or San Diego. And I know that's the only thing I could do that would possibly compare to Fan Expo. Right. Like I've never, like Denver Comic Con was probably the next biggest one I've done. And it was still only like a quarter of the size. Wow. Like uh, Fan Expo is just immense. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's... So when you're covering something like Fan Expo, I mean, how do you how do you organize your day? Because you're running between buildings or Fan or Expo is, for me... Uh, see, here's the thing. Fan Expo is very reluctant and has always been so on giving press the podcasts. Okay. It's very difficult. Uh, of all the cons, Fan Expo has some of the most strict media accreditation rules there are. Yeah. I've never been able to crack it. Yeah. I have been allowed to moderate at Fan Expo. I have never been given press. Right. So I usually get in on uh, as a friend's guest. Uh, Anthony Rutgazer actually usually yeah. brings me in oh, right. on one of his artist guest passes so I can at least avoid the lines and stuff. Right. But I have never been able to get access to, say, the celebrities or any of that. Yeah. So that's why I've always dug in so deep gorilla pod. I like to call it gorilla pod, okay. where I'm just in the trenches in the, in the artist alley talking to as many people as I can. And I'm trying to have a party of it. You know, like Fan Expo for me is kind of the one where I let loose and have a really good time. Because you know? you're not, 
you don't have the official press pass are you like doing the podcast on the dl or like how are you interviewing people you're allowed to talk to the guests if they're willing to talk to you okay um you have to again etiquette you know but you can't bug any of the actual media guests like the celebrities right you know the ones who are doing autograph signing yeah but artists alley is free for all. Go ahead. You can talk to everybody you want. Free. They don't care what's going on in Artist Sally. Right? Is that also part of the reason why you focused on indie creators? Because you realize, yes, that, like, in it's, the beginning, it's a lower it's a lower bar to get access to indie. Creators. Absolutely, it's it's just much easier. It's just you know, it's it's just content at that point. Right. But luckily, it's content I love. But all the other ones have been official. Like I do official press and moderation in Philly. Uh, Denver, I was part of Points of Interest podcast. We had a table there. They actually did what was called Podcast Peak, and okay. they had an artist alley just for podcasts. So tell me really about cool. your podcast network. Like, mm-hmm. what? Who are the shows on your podcast network? Oh, geez. Uh, How did you get hooked up with them? Well, what happened was doing this uh, podcast. I just started meeting people on Twitter other podcasters and getting to know them and made some good friends and they had shows and there was another friend of mine i met josh and josh had at the time he was running the points of interest podcast network it was a much smaller kind of little thing with just like four little shows that he did they were his shows yeah they were his shows and he just called it the points of interest yeah and he had well he had four shows with like four different partners right and he just called it that so uh i had a friend phoenix denerdette at Denerdette on uh, on Twitter, and she kind of has like a big Facebook page. It was called uh, Media Junk Food, right? And it's just a big pop culture media thing. And she's a good friend of mine. I'd had her on the show a few times, and I went to her and was like, "How would you like to maybe you know take your brand and my brand, and maybe make a network?" Because she was wanting to maybe start a podcast, right? So we started the Junk Food Podcast Network, okay. and. Us and POI had so much interaction going on, like everybody was being on each other's shows all the time and back and forth. It just didn't make sense to have the two. Right. So we eventually conglomerated into the Points of Interest Podcast Network, where today we stand with 14 shows uh, all across North America uh, and in Ireland. And uh, or at least one of the hosts of one of the shows is in Ireland. And there's a little bit of everything. We've got uh, a couple RPG uh, gaming tabletop shows, Gamer's Table and the Dragon Fisters. Nice. Uh, We've got Speak Geek to Me, which is a couple of girls, Savannah and Michelle. Uh, And they just, you know, they're our lewd ladies of pod. Um, Who else we got? We got, uh, I do another show with my my, uh, co-coordinator, I guess you'd say, or co-curator, Josh. Uh, it's called Two J's Later. Okay. And that's always fun. We've also got Back When We Were Interesting, which is a couple of kids who talk about nostalgia. Uh, a whole bunch of shows. If you want to check it out. But they're man. all they're all like geeks. They're all geek-centric in some way, yeah. but all different facets. We've got RPG. We've got Star Wars. We've got comics. Back When We Were Interesting is more of just nostalgia in general. Right. Um. You know, they're, they're, that's probably our least geekiest podcast. Right. But then again, uh, Dinerdet, she does Heroes and Coffee, uh, which is a very cool one, and The Lex Factor. Uh, we got a couple blurred shows, as they're called, uh, Black Nerds. You know what okay. I mean? There's a bit of a movement happening, uh, you know? Okay. And, uh, you know, they got a little cool thing going on, and we're very, very fortunate to have a couple of those shows, Lex Factor and Heroes and Coffee. She just spoke 
with Susan Eisenberg, the voice of Wonder Woman. Oh, nice. Yeah, and on her most recent episode. And that was really cool. I just listened to that this morning. Cool. And uh, I'm really proud of her because she's kind of my Padawan. You know, I kind of helped her getting get into podcasting, yeah. and now she's just blown up, and she's doing absolutely incredible things. So nice, yeah. I'm really proud to have been able to help other people do their thing. You know? So you've been doing this a while. We, we, you know, we've been doing this for maybe about a year so far. We right launched on. in we launched in April of of uh, of last year, and I just want to get a sense of like how did you build an audience? What like how what's the key of getting people to actually like listen? The thing about my podcast is I without trying I found a niche. And that niche is a huge percentage of my audience are the creators themselves. Okay. Um and I have found that out just interacting with them, you know, when people comment or we talk about the podcast or whatever kind of feedback I get. It's it's always creator stuff. And they're always interested in hearing from each other. And they're always so inspired by each other. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, really proud of that part, actually, that that kind of went that way. I, I don't care, to be honest. You know, it's nice to have an audience. You know, it's a great time. But I can't do it for the hits. You should never do it for the hits. You know what I mean? Right. You should do it for the love of pod. Right. Not that you wouldn't like to get big, you know. But I'm not huge. But I think I've slowly... Number one is consistency. Consistency. If you want an audience, you need to be consistent and you need to constantly be putting something out when you're scheduled to put it out. Right. If you're like only putting out a show like randomly and sporadically and people can't kind of know when it's going to be there, they may miss a lot or skip over. Do you know what I mean? Right. I found that a lot. So you need to try and be consistent. Try and pick a day. Right. You know, I mean, sometimes I get lazy. I'll skip a week or just not feel like podding. Like, this isn't my job, right? Sometimes you got to remind yourself because it's easy to get taken over because yeah. you get so passionate about it. You got to remind yourself, you know, no one's going anywhere if you miss a week, right? Right, right, right. So, you know, but consistency, uh, positivity, at least for me, interaction, getting out there and actually meeting them. Uh, I think Twitter is a huge thing for podcasters. Yeah. You know, it's where a lot of people meet. But again, I mean, I meet a lot of other podcasts and creators because that's kind of where my audience is, right? Right. They just love to hear each other talk about their stuff. Do you do you set up like long distance conversations like through all the Skype? Time, or, all the time. Yeah. Uh, hardly ever do I do one-on-one unless I'm at a con or it's someone local okay. and I can set it up. Like this is really exciting for me. I was I was excited when you invited me to come out here because it was just like right on, you know. I don't get to do it face to face enough. Nice. But yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, about a month ago, I had Mike Speakman on. He's in Australia. Wow. So I had to stay up till three in the morning to Skype with him. What do you find quality wise for Skype? Like people, it so varies. Or, That's yeah. another thing about podcasting. You have to accept the tyranny of the technical gremlins right away. Okay. You will lose shows. You will lose quality. You'll lose recordings. Things won't record. Things will get lost. You got to let it go. I've talked with people for full hours and then something happened and we didn't have the recording. But you have to say to yourself, remember the conversation. You had a great time having it. That's important, right? Right. But do yeah. Do you rebook them or what do you do? Sometimes if you need to, you know, if you just can't record it, you know, and sometimes it's not the greatest, but I'm not ridiculously picky. Like sometimes I put an episode out yesterday that was a phone call in, in uh, conversation. 
And I cleaned it up the best I could. You know, it's a great conversation and I hope people stick it through, but there was nothing I could do about the fact that I was talking to somebody in San Diego on a cell phone. Right. Right. So you just kind of got to, you know, you kind of got to take a punk rock attitude about it at times too. Right, right. right? You're not in PR. You're not going to be doing like the hardcore production sure you know like i'd like to i like to sound best as i can you know you got it you want to save up you want to get a decent mic and, and i think that's that's a thing though too like podcasts in the world with the greatest audiences like the biggest audiences are the ones with the biggest production value and the and the biggest production budget like the like the mprs and that and that sort of thing i i guess so but i'm not familiar enough with those right 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 yeah but i'm talking about like the ones like the this american life's where they like edit stories and they do like they have i've honestly never listened i don't even is it just like the sound quality you're meaning it's not not just the sound quality it's 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 the way that the shows are edited and put together okay and the like there's different segments and like there's stories happening and, and that kind of thing right but like they have like infrastructure behind it like they have people that actually like do this for a living and are like broad broadcast professionals that sort of thing and yeah they have like the biggest like the biggest audiences Mm -hmm. but then there's always like room for you know your second and your third tier totally podcast for sure you don't realize i mean uh the top 60 percent of podcast or sorry the bottom 60 percent of podcasters yeah average 200 to 400 hits an episode right and you're doing well and one thing I've learned about podcasters is they lie. They lie like crazy. And you're going to hear blown up crazy numbers. And I don't know why people are, you know, I'm not going to sit here and give you my numbers, but I'm nowhere near that. And, you know, tens of thousands or anything. But people are way too concerned with that side of it. Yeah. You know, they do it for that. All they do is is try to just get it out. Like the big trend right now, whenever I follow a podcast on Twitter, I get that private message saying, thanks for the follow, check out our show. You know, like one of those automated things. I hate that. Like I hate it. Like it makes me want to unfollow you right away. Because I'm just like, come on, like be real, you know? But again, maybe that's the punk rock attitude of podcasting that I kind of have. Yeah. Because some people think, you know, you got to be proper. You got to be this. And no, it's it's talk. Just talk, you you know? It's... So, you know, that's what it's always been for me. But again, I do it all myself, right? right. I do all my own. I have no one else involved with my podcast. No sponsors, no things like Sometimes that. Sometimes I'll have co-sponsors for certain events. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I tried to sponsor recently the Pints and Pages oh, okay. event uh, that was held at the Cameron House this year. Yeah, yeah. Nice. And uh, that was fun. I tried to get that out there. And actually, I'm hoping to be lining up a lot of members of the Toronto Comics Anthology soon. Because cool. uh, their Kickstarter is going to be launching in March. Yeah, for the next volume. Yeah, so I'm hoping to get a few of that ca- those cats on there. And uh, not really sponsorship, I guess you'd say. But, you know, just help get the word out promote sort them, of thing. Yeah. Help promote them. But yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you see yourself ever making an income from this sort of thing? Like <laughs> having podcast. Like, oh, that's the dream, isn't podcast? it? It's the dream. I mean, I would give anything to... Well, I wouldn't give anything. But, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to podcast professionally. And just sit talk to people all day come on absolutely you know i'd never run out of any, anything to say so but i'm realistic about it at the same time i think an uh, a realistic dream i have is to maybe figure out a way to make it at least pay for itself right someday you know i'm not a big fan of the patreons and stuff 
It's hard to figure out, but I mean, I've got a few ideas I've been kicking around, but like one of my favorite podcasts, Talking Tunes okay. with Rob Paulson. He's a Yakko he, and Pinky. Yeah, and, he yeah. played like uh, Raphael. Ninja Turtles, yeah, Ninja yeah. Turtles. Original Din- Donatello. That's another one of my favorite podcasts. Okay. But he went to Patreon where you got to pay five bucks a month now. To be on Patreon? No, to listen to his podcast. Yeah. Oh, okay. And he occasionally puts out like half a free one. Which is okay, but now I never get to hear this podcast. Because yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not dropping five bucks on your podcast right. when there's hundreds of thousands of other people who would love me to listen to theirs too for it, free. free yeah. Like, I can understand donate if you want. Yeah. Like, I kind of like the Patreon. Would you like to be, a, you know, like, you know, there a patron? Are, there are podcasts like Canada Land. Sure. Which is a, which is a Canadian media criticism podcast, mm. which is fully supported by Patreon. Mm-hmm. But it's still free. Yes, that is that's right. cool. I was maybe thinking about that, but right. his you have no choice. Really? You have to pay to get certain episodes, and I don't know. That's just not the medium to me. Yeah, to me, yeah. this is this is pump up the volume. This is yeah. This is you know pirate radio. This is you know doing it the way we want with no rules, which is fantastic. Right, right. You know, if they start trying to regulate this, we're in trouble, man. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. It's the last to me. It's the last free bastion of like human communication. Where we have no limits, you know, right. we can literally talk to anybody about anything we want, right? And put it out there for anyone to hear. Do you think you're always going to be doing comics for podcasts? I don't always, so no. I think they'll always be part of it. I've interviewed a lot of voice actors. Yeah. I'm big into that. Yeah. Uh, Jim Cummings, I've had on the show. Oh, nice. Winnie the Pooh and Tigger. Yeah. Uh, Mark Dodson, who's Salacious Crumb and the Gremlins. Wow. Townsend Coleman, he's the original Michelangelo, Michelangelo from yeah, Ninja yeah. Turtles. So, you know, that's something I'm pretty big into too. I'll basically, uh, and a lot of Star Wars people too. I mean, I'm huge into Star Wars, right? We were talking about the collections. I actually, I own 76 lightsabers. Wow. Yeah, I'm a bit of a What, a what got you so into Star Wars? Just from kid, man, uh, but mainly the comics. I wasn't even huge into the movie. I was six when Jedi came out, and I remember loving speeder bikes and the lightsabers. There was that little speeder bike toy that explodes when you hit the button on the back. Yeah. Okay. And I, I loved that and the lightsabers, but then it was when the comics started. Because okay. I'm not so much a Star Wars guy as a Jedi guy. Like, I like all the Jedi lore and Sith lore. Okay. That's why I've been obsessed with the expanded universe for ever. So how do you feel yeah. when they said expanded universe is no is not canon? It hurt a lot that? in the beginning, but I'm starting to deal with it more. You know, I've gotten used to it, and everything they've done has been so good since. And they've actually kept a lot more of it than you'd think. I mean, I wasn't over overjoyed with episode seven. But uh, not taking away from it, it was a brilliant movie, but I'm not a movie guy. Like, I'm not the Star Wars movie guys. I got really drawn into Star Wars through the comics when I was younger. Right. So I'm more excited for episode eight because we get to see that Jedi temple. We get to see Luke. You know, uh, the coolest thing for me in episode seven was the Force Vision because they've never done that before. They've right. never had a flashback in Star Wars before. Yeah. And they avoided it by making it like a vision, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was really exciting to see all the fallen students and the Knights of Ren there. So I'm stoked about that. Yeah, you yeah. know kind of where they're going. Yeah. Based yeah. On that. But I'll talk to anybody, man. I mean, if you're interesting or whatever. I've talked to tons of different people. I've talked to, you know, actors too, you know, nice. whatever. Yeah. And it seems like, I mean, you've talked to people that are like involved in this sort of like – 
you know takeover that geeks are experiencing with the media and stuff like you know even the voice actors or people that have done voices for like you know dc marvel properties or oh or sure like, or like yeah Ninja well a Turtles, lot of it so is sort of you learn how like one thing i've learned by doing so many conventions is how to approach people right how to do it properly timing is everything attitude is everything and i think i've gotten really good at that so what do you do like what's what's your approach what's the secret sauce the secret sauce first is reconnaissance and observation okay and you got to get the vibe mainly you you you're not out to make friends okay if it's one of the bigger guests like if it's just an artist and artist alley i'm like hey want to podcast about your book they're like yeah right? right but the bigger people it's their handler is your key Right. So you've got to get through the handler to get to them. Yeah. So you need to impress that handler far more than you need to impress whoever it is you actually want to talk to. Yeah. So you need to observe and see what kind of attitude they have. So how should you approach them? You know, are they really happy? Are they easy? Are they serious? You know, do they want to be, you know, a lot of handlers want to be made to feel like they're in charge. Right. So you kind of got to give them that, you know, and, and really treat them that way, you know? Yeah. And then there's others who are their wives, so they don't care, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think uh, it's kind of hard to explain it moment for moment, but I think as I'm in a situation, I can kind of read it well. Okay. I can read when there's a good moment to get in there, when they're not too distracted, uh, when there's not too much going on, you right. know, at the at the right moments. Why is your podcast called An Elegant Weapon? Lightsabers. Because okay. I'm obsessed with lightsabers. A light, uh, an elegant weapon for a more civilized age. Obi-Wan's okay, line from episode four. Yeah, because I was collecting lightsabers long before the podcast. And I always loved that term, an elegant weapon for a more civilized age. I see. So I always knew it, too. I always said to myself, if I ever do do a podcast, it's going to be called an elegant weapon. Nice. And uh, yeah, we're going. We're in our fifth year now. Cool. So it's it's really cool. Man. So how long do you think you're going to be doing it, and what's what's the future hold for one day at a time? That's really one day at a time. I I can't possibly say where it's going to go, what it's going to do. A lot of these podcasts are banking on today's culture, like the genre thing being huge. You know, there's more comic book podcasts than any other type of podcast. Even okay. though there is a podcast for everyone, like there's fishing, hunting, whatever, you can find a podcast about it. Yeah. But as far as comic book podcasts, there are more of those than any other type of podcast. So for me, it's one day at a time. I don't look ahead. I just do what I do and try to keep doing it right. You know. What do you think of the current media landscape that we're in in terms of it seems like the geeks have been dictating uh, popular culture for a long time? Well, we now. grew up. You know, like uh, us kids from the 70s and 80s, we grew up. Now we're making the stuff. So the stuff is going to be what we remember and what we love. Right. right? So it's just the turn of the tide. You watch in 20 years, we'll be seeing like Pound Puppy or, you know, Puppy Patrol or what is it? Paw Patrol like reboots or just like ridiculous stuff. Stuff we've never heard of, you know, because the kids will grow up and they'll start making their stuff. Right. You know, Quentin Tarantino grew up to the 90s. He started making 70s looking movies. Yeah. Right. It's just the cyclicalness of culture, I guess, you know. Do you think that it's helping your podcast or, you know, anything that people pursue in sort of geekdom that like we're part of this or are you waiting for the bottom to fall out? I don't think the bottom's going to fall out because this, this has always been here. I think certain bottoms will fall out. Like maybe they don't make quite as many movies as they are right now. Yeah. But here's the thing. They're going to run out of stuff. 
Because they're doing all the big stories right now across all the different titles, right? Right. So, you know, we're getting our Civil War. We're going to get Age of Ultron. Where are we going to go after this? Marvel can't go anywhere but Secret Wars, really. And, you know, uh, they're kind of going to do that with uh, Infinity War, right? Right. So I, I, I see a reboot of the whole universe. I think Marvel, you know, once this Phase 4 is done, we start over. Right. I think there's going to be a different Cap, a different Thor. I think, and then they'll get to try it maybe a different way. Where you're doing like original sure. stories for the movies. Why not? That'd be it's great. not even based on the comics. It's just One, the characters. Again, DC. Look at, at least Zach's got the balls to try something different. Uh, you know what? Gotham and Metropolis. Yeah, they're across the river from each other. Yeah. Why not? Like yeah. you know, let's let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. Right. But I don't think because there's so many stories still to tell. I think it'll take forever, anyways. You know, and uh, and they're borrowing. Like, did you see Supergirl last night? Yeah, Supergirl. I haven't seen it. It's on yeah, my DVR. They did an Alan Moore but story. But I want. I want. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite Superman <laughs> stories crazy. of all time. Yeah. They're they're doing. Yeah, and they did it really well. Yeah. And uh, Bizarro Supergirl. Yeah. You know, and we'll never run out of these stories. We still haven't seen Old Man Logan. We've only had one Wolverine. You know, there's gonna be more. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's just it's just incredible. Yeah. But I but like you're right. I mean, like they're. They're picking stories on the TV show. They're picking stories from the movies. Like, mm-hmm. everything is sort of being interpreted and reinterpreted yeah. and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The one thing I don't really get is, like, DC is doing so well with the TV. Why are they not using those familiar characters for the movies? Like, they're recasting their Flash and doing that kind, and, and doing that I, kind of thing, right? I think it's for the exact reason that they say it is. I think it's to not handcuff the creators. Right. I think they, you know, because DC, as we all know, they've got their ultimate failsafe in the multiverse. Right. No matter what, DC is cool. They're covered. They're fine. It's part of the multiverse. Yeah. So if you want to get technical, you can go there. But I really think it's a creator thing. I really think it's... uh, I want to play with my own toys in my own Kind of. I want... This is my vision. This is the vision I've always had. This is the vision I want to put out. Yeah. I think that's kind of their attitude. You know what I mean? It's creator-driven. Exactly. Or director... Or tour director-driven. Yeah, which which I think is a great thing. Whereas Marvel is more... The group, like the what's good for the goose is good for the gander. They have a formula, formula that has made them so much money, they're terrified to step away from it. Every Marvel movie is the same movie in a different outfit. Right. Really. There are know? some different shades. Like you've got mm-hmm. your you've got your seventies spy shade with Oh sure, Captain sure. America, but I mean as far as just soldier. the structure of how to how the movie's told, you know? Right. Uh quick Fancy beginning that sucks you right in yeah. and, you know, and really makes you kind of odd. And then it goes into the conflict. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's cool. Don't get me wrong. I love Marvel movies, but I'm not, you're only seeing it for the spectacle at this point in a way. Right. Right. Where I mean, they're I, great stories. Oh though. yeah. And the humor is. Absolutely. And I think they're great, but like put it this way. I think the best thing Marvel has done is Daredevil. Right. I think Daredevil was better than any of the movies they've made. And I mean, Except maybe Guardians. Jessica I thought Jones, Guardians was brilliant. Daredevil was, was awesome great. and Jessica yeah. Jones was was better, I think. I I still like Daredevil. Yeah. Uh better. Different story though. But yeah, one on is par. a personal story and one is a For sure. yeah. world saving. But I thought story. it was brilliant. I right. thought it was that's that's, you know, that was a Batman story. It right. was great, right. you know. Right. And I think is if people okay, like look at Batman in the comics. How many different versions of Batman has there been? A lot. Just 
yeah, it's the same. If we can have the same attitude we do towards doing that in comics, why not in movies? Right, right. right. Make us a million Batman movies. I like a tall-eared Batman. Yeah. But I also love the short-eared Batman, so I'll deal with him for now. It's just that if you're introducing the already successful, already built-in audience of the TV show and those characters in the movies, you already have an established audience for that. So you already know but that, that you're thinking go commercially, them, right? right? Yeah. You're thinking good for business. Yeah, it is. Right? Good. Yeah. That's not, and I love the fact that one thing Warner Brothers has not always been good for business, you know, like they'll fully admit that they screw up a lot of things. Right. Right. So I like that they don't always think with the money. Right. And they take risks, you know. Right. Like Marvel has got a great thing. It's, It's so perfect what they do, but it's not exactly a big risk. Right. You know what I mean? Like bringing in these characters at this point, they can bring in anybody because they've been proven over. DC's still got a bit of a hill to climb. They need That's to make true. up for Green Lantern, you know? Right. And you're right. They they do have a, a Flash that the other Flash got to live up to. Like, because yeah. Grant Gustin's is so good. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's going to be a different Flash, which is cool too, you yeah. know? So, yeah. you know, we'll see. What do you... What do you think of the TV? It's weird that DC historically has already always owned the TV, the animated universe, whereas Marvel has sort of own the movies and sort of suffered in in, t- in TV and that sort of thing. Like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., for example, does not compare to The Flash because on the DC side. Right? It's forced to the formula. It's forced to stick to the story. Right. They can't do anything because it'll mess with the movies. Right. They, they cannot go against that. And right. it makes for not – I enjoy – Agents of Shield. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I think it's improved it's better now. Yeah. yeah, than it was in the beginning. Yeah, but it's very obvious that their hands are super tied. You know, yeah. whereas like DC's just like, you know, King Shark. Let's do it. Like yeah. you know, yeah, they yeah. are absolutely able, and Girl they don't have to worry about what they don't can't do for the movies. You know, I think there was an article I read earlier about how they can't use Deadshot right now anymore in Arrow. Because he's going to be in a movie or something. Because I don't, of the Suicide Squad. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's that complicated. I mean, if they're going to do two flashes, I mean, who really cares, right? Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, look, they did the whole Suicide Squad with, you know, on the show already, too. Well, so. I mean, and like last week on Sorry, Arrow, not Deathshot, uh, Deathstroke. Deathstroke, yeah. Deathstroke, they won't let him the muse right now or yeah. whatever. It's, it's yeah. uh, do it all. Do right. it all, yeah. Right, yeah. Definitely. Let everybody have a try. You know what I mean? And yeah. then if it does come down to it, multiverse it up if you get desperate, you know? Yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah. like, cool, man. I, yeah. I'm, I'm very, I'm, <laughs> I'm impressed. I, I like this conversation. You definitely know what you're talking about. Do you feel like you've gained, you know, knowledge of comics doing this podcast? Would you, would you oh, call yeah. yourself more of a, expert than you were before Ab- i wouldn't call myself an expert but i'm more so than i was before okay. absolutely yeah absolutely which is very cool but again a lot of it is just the stuff that people have introduced to me as i've gotten to know people as you know the podcast has gone on what know? is your favorite book that a creator introduced you it's already in my head it's not too bad i'm just making sure it's it's the one i think it is there's a book called tart okay and this book, Tart, is by Kevin Joseph, is the writer, and Ludovic Salet is the artist. And he's out of France, and Kevin Joseph is in Florida. This book is about time-traveling assassins. Okay. But it's it's so much more than that. It's one of the most beautiful comic books I've ever seen, first of all. The art style is just, it, it sucks me in. And uh, it's an amazingly fun story about these time-traveling assassin girls. 
Um, but yeah, that's that's maybe my favorite book I've been introduced to through the podcast. That's a lot awesome. of good ones. A lot of good ones. Uh, Wild Bullets by a guy, Greg Wright. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's out of Michigan. That's a fantastic book, you know? Tons. <laughs> so many. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So if people want to listen to your podcast or, you know, get to know An Elegant Weapon, where where do they go? How do they find you? You go to www.anelegantweapon.ca. Uh, I, <laughs> com was taken. Uh, some photographer guy in the States and I couldn't get it. And then I was like, you know, whatever, I'm Canadian anyways. I should be proud of that. Right. So that's why it's dot CA kids. But, uh, we got a Facebook page at elegant weapon, uh, on Twitter. We're at a E W podcast. Okay. Uh, yeah. So basically an elegant weapon dot CA we're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Nice. Yeah. And I say we as like, <laughs> I don't know why I say that. And then I try to justify it by saying like, me and my audience, we're like a team. You know what right, I mean? Right. I do feel like they're my friends. My audience, I feel like are my friends. Right. And I love that. You know, do you get so, a lot of feedback from the audience? I get a fair amount. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's, it's nice, you know, and, but it comes from the interaction, right? What do they say? I don't get reviews. People always ask for iTunes reviews and stuff. Yeah. You're not going to get them. People don't do that. People yeah. do not, you may, but people do not rate or review podcasts. As much as that's an, a very important thing to do, kids, like the best way you can support your podcast is to get out there and rate and review it. Yeah. A lot of people just don't because it's just, you know, I don't know, they're too lazy or whatever. Right. But, well, I mean, uh, a lot of the, my podcasts that I listen to don't need it. They don't need review because they're already yeah. big and established. Yeah. But it's the it's the smaller ones like this one. Exactly. Please rate and review <laughs> exactly. your speech yeah. bubble pod podcast uh, listen yeah. to an elegant weapon and review that as well there you go that could really use the help for yeah. reviewing yeah because what does it do it, it bounces us to like the front of the page or, or yeah it just gets your thing shown more it's yeah. just more exposure and that's what it's all about right you know and uh you know i've been lucky enough that people have tried to help me with exposure because i've done everything i can one of the biggest compliments i ever got paid doing this podcast was i once said uh how, you know, I'm just a podcaster. I just talk. I can't even compare myself to these people who make comics, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I got feedback that uh, I was told I should never say that again. And I should be absolutely okay with that I do make comics because I have done what I can to give a platform to so many Kickstarters. Right. <laughs> and I, I, I've helped. I've had a little hand in helping get a lot of comics made. And that was that outlook really was cool. Nice. That helped me. That was one of the best re- reviews or feedback I ever got. So you know, cool. just stuff like that. It keeps you pushing along and helps you get better. You know, just keep on potting, kids. Just uh, keep on potting. Awesome. <laughs> and with that, uh, we're gonna keep on potting, but we're gonna do it for the next show because this show is over. So I want to thank you for uh, for coming in. Go to uh, an elegant weapon. Find it on iTunes and Stitcher. And elegantweapon.ca. Follow these guys on Twitter and and Facebook. And uh, you know, the more the merrier. I I don't I don't really care if you listen to Speech Bubble, if you listen to An Elegant Weapon, if you listen to both. You know, just uh, just support everyone who's trying to uh, work in this in this Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming. Hey, in. next time you come over and you visit An Elegant Weapon. But uh, I really appreciate this, man. This was a blast. You're Thanks welcome. so much. Thank you. Right on.
Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. See you next time. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. 